Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences being a person of color in white spaces. This week, I'm chatting with the sisters. After the George Floyd murders and subsequent civil unrest, I really thought that it was important to document the experiences of people of color in this moment in time. I was personally struggling, and so I thought others might be as well, and I was happy to have these conversations. If you've been following the podcast, you know that part of the premiere suite of episodes was a session that I recorded interviewing some children. This week, the sisters. So the sisters for this episode are Nicole from Central Pennsylvania, Natasia from New York, Sabri of Baltimore, Maryland, Angela of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. If you've been following the episode, you might be interested in knowing that Angela is the mother of Natasha, who was interviewed for the Out of the Mouth of Babes episode, and Arielle from Massachusetts. And Arielle's children were also interviewed for the Out of the Mouth of Babes episode. Her children are Kyle and Layla. I asked all the women the same four questions that I've asked everyone about the George Floyd murder. Did you watch the video? What was your reaction? How did you how did you respond emotionally or psychologically? What do you think the right next steps are specifically as relates to uh, white people making a more anti-racist country? So we'll start with the first question about uh, the video of George Floyd being killed and their reaction. Let's hear a little bit about what the sisters have to say. We'll start with Nicole and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, I know. I saw the video and I was watching it and whilst I was watching it, even though I've seen that kind of video before, I was waiting for this man to get off his neck. Like, I I just knew that they weren't going to do this. Like, I just knew that this wasn't going to end up in the result of this man dying, that they wasn't just that cold-hearted, unempathetic to him laying there, calling for his mother and, and saying he can't breathe. And I try not to watch videos like that, actually, because it's so many that it becomes like murder porn. You can't unsee that. When I first got social media and people would send me certain things, I would ask them, please don't, because I can't unsee certain things and I don't want to let certain things into my world. When I saw that and I was, I couldn't look away, it ended up how it ended up. And it was clear that they murdered this man. What I couldn't understand was how they were trying to act like he wasn't dead. You could see this stream of urine come from under the car from his bladder releasing because they killed him, you know? And I'm like, they don't see this. They're trying to act like this didn't happen. And regardless of if I let it in or not, it still is happening. It's a reality. I just felt helpless, especially as a mother of three black children, but two black sons. And, you know, I'm looking at this man and he could be my father or my brother or my uncle or one of my sons. And guy that was talking to, to the police and saying, you know, that this is wrong and asking them to stop that. You're like, you know what you're doing. I can't imagine how helpless he felt. And then I put myself in a position like, what if this would have been somebody in my family or somebody that I cared about or loved? And how helpless you would be standing there because it's really nothing you could have done because I'm pretty sure that um, it would have been 
two victims if he had shown any aggression towards the police. And so that that's what made me feel so helpless. Like, what do you do? Like, this is really... And this, they knew that he was record that they were being recorded, and it, it did not matter. Natasia, New York. I was actually in, um, in you know the in the, one of the bedrooms here, um, at my grandparents' house, and for some reason it took me by surprise. I remember just like feeling very numb, and then the next day I couldn't really do anything. I was like. I told my mom, I said, mom, I don't have any energy to do anything. I just need to go upstairs and tune out. You know, like I left my work computer on, but I was like, I just need to zone out and just process. And so the emotions for me probably didn't come on until a few days later because I was just so numb from from seeing the video. It was just like, it, it triggered a response that I've never really experienced. Like I haven't experienced the emotion so intensely before until I saw that video. A few days later, I think the first thing that hit me was just sorrow. Like it it was just a grief that struck me, you know, saying like you hear about it and you know we've had cases in the past, you know, with Tamir Rice and and you know Ahmad and 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 all of these other individuals, Brianna Taylor and all these other individuals that lost their lives. But then when you actually see it, you know, in front of you and happening, it just it hit me in just a way that like, I was just so sad and I I felt so broken. And I think even a part of me for a moment felt defeated. And I was like, I don't think I've ever felt that before because I've always been like positive and trying to keep, you know, like a, a positive mindset. But in that moment, I just remember like crying and like praying. And I was like, God, I don't even know what, like, what, what is happening right now? You know, like, I was like, is anything even going to change? Are we even going to be able to move forward from this? What is going to happen? And so I think that first feeling was just like that grief and that sorrow and that feeling of defeat. And then questions of like, what do we do next? (laughs) Because I just like, I felt a headache, you know, like, (laughs) I just felt like headaches in my head. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, I haven't had like the physical responses. That's why I said this is the first time that I've really experienced something like this. Um, But definitely like the headaches, I felt a little, you know, tightness in my chest. Um, And so I've, that's why I've been limiting my, my news time and my news coverage and setting boundaries for myself and being like, okay, I'm going to, you know, take in maybe five, 10 minutes and then that's it. Like I, because that's all I can handle. Um, and I'm like, if I don't, then I'm not going to be effective <laughs> because I'm just going to be emotional and I'm trying, you know, I'm giving myself a grace to process emotionally, but at the same time, also trying to use wisdom and not react with emotion, but try to react with wisdom and with facts and, and with knowledge about the situation. On one hand, I feel I feel the pain like I I really feel the pain and the trauma and I was just kind of having that conversation even with you know my my grandparents you know because just seeing them coming from a different generation and then trying to tell them this is how young people are processing pain um I think for me the biggest thing is like I've been trying to talk a lot about like healing 
And like, what does the process of healing for our community look like? You know, where do we start that process? Sabri from Baltimore, Maryland had an interesting perspective here. I cannot watch it. So when I see it, <laughs> when I see it, I scroll past it. I can read about, I can read the bullet points of what happened. I can't watch the video. I'm not able to do that. And I have, at first I felt like I had to watch it, but now I'm giving myself the permission to not experience it in that way. When I see it in the, I encounter it most often on social media and I just see the beginning of him being around with someone's knee on his neck. The first three seconds of him being led to a police car from the, I guess it's a stores video surveillance. That's as far as I get. I just, my initial thought was, oh God, not again. Is that we're, this is really happening all over again. We were talking to our son last night, but it just seems, it's so awful because it's Ahmad, am I saying his name? Ahmad Aubrey. And then, or was it Brianna Taylor first and then Ahmaud Aubrey? It's one, two, three. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, how much more of this is going to happen? I heard last night about a trans man, a Black trans man that was killed. It's unending. And I think it's just, it's exasperating. And so that would be enough to, I think, warrant any of their deaths would warrant the sort of reaction I think that we're seeing in protest coupled with trying to survive the trauma of a pandemic and all of the unknown. It just, it kind of seems like a right for unrest. So while I don't condone, nor would I, I hope I would not participate in any of the things that have been happening. I certainly understand and am sympathetic to the feeling of frustration that people are experiencing. Let's hear a little bit about how Angela talks about managing her own reaction. Um, I absolutely could not watch it. I've had to, I stopped watching the videos a while ago because it, I, there's no reason for me to keep seeing it. The videos, all, all of the videos of Black bodies being murdered and abused uh, by people in power. I can't, you know, you stop, you push pause or stop or, you know, refresh your feed and the video doesn't stop playing in your head. And I couldn't have that playing in my head anymore. The pictures were too much. Let's listen a little bit to what Ariel has to say about this. The first time I watched it, I was angry. The second time I watched it, I was sad because I feel like we haven't made any progress. And when I say that, I mean, as far as him being able to be killed on TV like that and be taped and there be no consequences immediately, the first thing that registered in my mind was if he was a black man, right, and it was the opposite, if that had been a black officer and he had killed a white man like that, he'd be in jail immediately. So I was outraged because I just feel like they don't have any care for our black men. They don't see, like, they're, they don't feel like their lives are important. And the fact that he could look in a camera and kill that man with no remorse it just shows me we haven't really made any progress. We've made progress in some areas, but in other areas, I feel like we're right back to where we started. Um, I also felt like this is the conversation that I'm having to have with an eight-year-old, and I'm raising two black males. So then there's, there's I'm scared because I'm like, well, what is his future? What are their futures going to look like? What am I going to, every time they leave the house, do I have to feel anxious or feel like, okay, when they're going out, with their friends, or if I send them to the store, are they coming back home to me? I don't want to have to worry about every. I mean, there's all there's danger in the world, but I don't want to have to worry about a police officer killing my son. 
just for walking to the store or just minding his business or taking a job. So there's it's a problem that I have to guard my sons the way that I do just because of the color of their skin. So that's a that's an issue that I have. But I've always had issues with um, even just growing up and going to school, going to a predominantly white school. So I've always had to deal with the issue of how my skin appears and what people think and perceive that I am versus showing them. Like I've had Caucasian friends say to me, you know, I have a whole new respect for black culture because of the way you carry yourself. Because they had a, a presumption about me or they felt like they understood or they knew things about me. And then it's like, when they finally got to know me, they were like, oh, you know, you understand certain culture and you understand you don't speak a certain way. Well, what is this way that you feel or perceive that I should speak? Because I come from an educated family. So while you may see me and think that I'm one way, you know nothing about me, you know nothing about my culture. You just know what they show you on TV. You, you know the ignorance that they show you on TV. I'm just kind of, the narratives in my house lately is just about safety and how to carry ourselves and how do I carry ourselves with not even just the police officers, but just people. I'm living in a neighborhood that's predominantly white right now. So we have to be careful even with just, I've had people move out the way. There's the George Floyd um, situation where they don't even want to come in contact with us. Race-based stress and trauma are very real. And our guest daughters today speak very poignantly about this, their reactions of grief and sadness and depression, but also those reactions of their children. They also bring up a very common theme in most of my interviews about being anchored spiritually. Nicole makes an interesting point here. I've been praying and I've been talking to, you know, some people and I have been trying to keep my emotions intact. And I've been trying to keep everything where it's supposed to be and not let things bleed into other things. Traumatizing. The whole thing is traumatizing. It was traumatizing to watch the that man that was jogging get shot down in the street, you know? But this is what's been happening. And it's just now being on recorded so that other people are allowed to see it. But it's not like it's anything new. It's not new. First of all, uh, it I was watching the news and then Lyric was in the room and I had to explain this to her. And I really didn't know how because she's only eight years old. And she's like, you know, mom, the police are supposed to be good, you know? And I can't explain to her why some people don't like us because our skin is brown. And it doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense to her. Why would it make any sense to her when it doesn't make any sense to me? But I just had to let her know that, you know, all police are not like that. That she shouldn't be afraid because she was afraid. I'm afraid. I'm, a, I'm afraid every time, you know, I try to, when I don't talk to my son within three days because he's moved like an hour away from here now. I'm like, listen, you need to call me because I need to make sure that you're safe. Natasha? I know it's so silly, but sometimes watching mindless TV, you know, like watching something funny, um, you know, like definitely praying and, and, you know, listening to a lot of sermons and just a lot of like listening to worship music that helps me a lot. Um, and sometimes if I need to sleep, I'm just going to go sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and I'm, I don't beat myself up about it. You know, I'm like, if I need to take a nap because I'm mentally exhausted, you know, I'm mentally exhausted. And then like also connecting, you know, connecting, like I've been reaching out to a lot of, you know, my black and brown friends, especially my male friends, like checking like, hey, are you good? 
hey, you know, do you need to talk? Hey, like my friend and I went on a social distancing walk because I was just like, I need to get out of the house and I just need a place to process. So we went to this this uh, trail and it was just peaceful being by the water and walking through the park and, you know, like, so that helps as well of like, I just need a different change of environment. So just being out in nature, I'm actually taking another one of those tomorrow because I'm like, I just need to, I just need to get back to a place of like peace and of balance right now. Sabri? Definitely um, sleep deprivation. I didn't sleep well last night. Um, one thing that's been helpful, I've since the pandemic started, I've started doing an exercise regimen. So that's been really helpful. But I have to admit that I've been so depressed about all this. I haven't done it. And have had times where I've been much more irritable, cranky. Like there's just, it's just the signs of regular, of depression. But allowing ourselves to have that time and you have to feel, you have to give yourself the space and time you need to process. Um, so my initial reaction was to try and ignore it. And then that up with me crying in a dark room on Friday night. So that didn't work. I know it happened, but I'm not going to read about it. I'm not, there's, you know, nothing I can do about it. And the only way for me to really kind of be able to move forward and I felt a lot better moving forward in it has been to pray and act on it. So um, I am a member of Sean King's North Star community. He has the North Star podcast and then he has um, the North Star newspaper. He always has some sort of action step for me to participate. So there's that. And then um, just, you know, where faith comes in too. And like, you know, thinking about the ancestors and how they went past these moments because at least I can say that I'm removed enough that this is happening somewhere else. Somebody's not knocking on my door, knocking through my window and pulling me out of my, well, Brianna Taylor, but I don't have to worry about it to that extent yet. Well, and just processing with other people and friends and really talking about trauma and talking to other people about how they're coping with it. It's really cathartic just to be on social media where people say, oh yeah, I thought about getting a gun permit too. Is that something I need to do? Angela there's something beyond angry. It's like a fire. I'm mad. I'm angry. And I'm trying to tell myself, like rationally, Angela, logically, this is not every white person. This is not every cop. So I'm trying to settle that, settle the fire with logic and reason. But like, I can't calm myself down and calm my child down. So I calm her down. And then I get more angry that I had to spend time calming her down. And then, you know, I go to work and listen to people talk about their tan lines and talk about, you know, kayaking and all the things that should be fine to discuss. And I can't, I just want to be like, don't you guys know? Why are you not mad with me? I get enraged at people who aren't mad. And then I get mad at myself because people should be able to move on. And then why haven't I moved on? And it's like, a, I, I want to let it go because I need to be healthy, but I don't want to let it go because I don't want this to ever happen again. And I feel like if we let it go, it's going to happen again. Ariel. Oh, I'm constantly worried. I'm constantly thinking about it. I'm constantly, mentally, yes, I'm not okay. Because it's like, I can understand more. I feel like I understand more what, what's going on than my kids do. Their their image of it, I, I what I've showed them online is very vague. I've showed them maybe some of the protests. I've showed them him being killed. And I've had some conversations. But I don't want that to become what we're talking about all the time. I've had some conversations. I've had the conversation about, you know, handling yourself in front of the police or anything like that. But I don't want to constantly drill that in their heads. But, oh, they're very aware of what's going on in the world right now. Just give it to them in doses. I'm sure, like me, 
most of you have received a phone call, an email, a text, hopefully at least, from one or two or three white friends checking on you to make sure that you are okay. I, I guess I'm wondering if you could share what advice would you give white people to make this country more anti-racist and to decrease anti-Black racism? I have white friends. The, the fact that you can't empathize with me right now, I'm like, I had a person tell me, well, I'm sorry that you're afraid to live. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry that you're afraid to live. And I was like, she was like, I didn't mean it like that. And I'm like, well, listen, you know, she's like, well, I'm sorry, you know, that I don't know how that feels. And I said, I'm not sorry that you don't know how that feels because you shouldn't know how that feels because I shouldn't know how that feels. No one should know how that feels. I'm not wishing bad things on you. I'm just saying, you know, she was complaining about the rioting. And I was like, what if that was your child that was killed? And it was recorded or you were there or however it was. And you were helpless to do anything about it. And you knew that nothing was going to be done about it. And then I came up to you and said, I know you're hurt and I know you're angry, but but don't do this. I'm going to tell you now how to be angry. I'm going to tell you how to feel and I'm going to tell you how to express. You know, I was like, how would that actually work? The police was never meant to protect and serve us. That's their job now, but that's not. When that whole system was formed, it wasn't for us. It was to police us and to keep us out of white people's neighborhoods and make sure that we're not committing crimes against white people. I said, you're supposed to get the bad guys and this one is wrong. But they teach them that the bad guy looks like me. And what I would say to them is the bad guy does not look like me. It's good and and bad in every race. And, you know, we're human. Don't be afraid of my skin color. Don't just automatically tag me as aggressive or wanting to harm you. The same stuff that you're afraid of, I'm afraid of also. I think the biggest thing I would say is acknowledge that and ask questions. And and don't ask questions in a way that's like we're interrogating, you know, but sit down and know how to talk to people, learn how to talk to people. I think one of the biggest reasons we're facing all of this is because we don't know how to talk to people, you know, or like people struggle with, with the art of communicating and just the art of getting to know someone for who they are, because we make all of these judgments and these predeterminations. And, and, you know, a lot of it is formed, you know, by systemic racism. A lot of it is formed by history. But, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it starts with the mind and it starts, it starts here, you know, and I think having the mindset and the shift to say, you know what, I really want to get to know you as a person. So I would say, you know, definitely like acknowledge, you know, that there are differences. Don't don't negate the differences. I think the differences are what make us all unique and beautiful because we're not created to be the same. Each one of us are unique in our own way. So and 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 I say that because sometimes you see in like, you know, news and sometimes social media, you see like narratives of like we're trying to get rid of differences and we're trying to make everybody the same. And it's like, no, God created each person to be different. Each person has a different skin color, different personality, different, you know, genetic characters, whatever it might be. Starting with that, (laughs) starting with like, I am different. That is okay. And then also saying, okay, now, yes, we're different, but I'm not going to hyper focus on this, right? I'm going to figure out now, how can I talk to you? How can I get to know you? 
Um, because, you know, like I've had conversations with, with individuals, like one of my examples is like, actually my mom and I are talking about it. I had like a very, very suicidal counselor in, in high school. I don't think he knew necessarily that it was racism because he wasn't, I don't, you know, the narrative wasn't necessarily focused around all of the language that we have now. But I think just the, the simple thing of like me giving him a tie, believe it or not, actually helped to change his perspective and say, wait a minute not all black students or not all students of color are like this. And then just that simple gesture changed his whole demeanor and the way that he dealt with me. So, and I think it's also twofold of like both of us learning. And I think that's where that healing piece also comes in, you know, because we as a community, we're traumatized <laughs> straight up. We are very traumatized and I fully validate that, you know, and even acknowledging my own traumas and my own worries of being pulled over by police officers and holding my breath and being terrified because I didn't know what was going to happen. I've had this experience, you know, and, and I'm only one year out of school. And, and so I think, yeah, just that piece of like, you got to acknowledge the differences and then just learn how to get to know people and just learn how to communicate. Of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is a Toni Morrison quote about people having to live on their knees so you can feel taller. But I think white people need to have a meeting. <laughs> and I, I, y'all need to stop asking minorities what I can do and how I can be it. No, I, it is not my job to educate you on why your mindset is as messed up as it is. There needs to be some, some real education on the his and some real accountability and acceptance by America on the system that we've created, what we're and what we're doing to remedy that and how we're remedy how we're fixing that. And I don't know if they need to have an Oprah book club or what they need to do, but they need to do that work on their own. And I don't need to be a part of and think about ways they can really collectively restore and reparate what they've done. And there's no there's no acknowledgement of that. And I think until there is some sort of reconciliation there meaningful in a meaningful way. And I'm not talking about, it doesn't have to be necessarily monetary reparations, but you know, I still don't have 40 acres in a mule. Is our 40 acres, does that translate to zero interest home loans? Does that translate to free education at any trade two year, four year college? Does that translate, and does that translate to just a nationwide school tax that's, you know, fully, you know, equitably funded and we no longer base taxes on? And these are things that would uplift not just black people. And this one other thing, I would tell Southern white people to please stop voting against your own interests. It's not, it's not helping you. It's really not. I mean, it may make you feel better that you can, you're, at least I'm not black and poor, but at the end of the day, we both still poor. So, and to me, we're all poor if we all have to go to work every day. I've been thinking about this question because, you know, people will text and reach out and say, what can I do? What can I do? And I hate that question because I don't feel like it's my job to teach you how to be human. If I, if I don't teach you who will, I guess, if I could say something, I would say, take time out and see it from my shoes and really, like, really see it. Don't just look, well, this is how Angela must feel, but you really have to put yourself in the situation of George Floyd's girlfriend or his daughter. Explain, I, I need you to explain to your child why their dad's not coming home. 
explain to your child how you should still trust the police officers even though they shot your dad and you know what I mean like when white America can feel it then I think they'll stop it'll stop being a black problem um, I just want the narrative to change as far as what I have to teach my children as far as law enforcement is concerned. And I want the narrative to change as far as like what I have to show them that's on the news. And I want them, I want it to change where I don't have to constantly have to have these conversations with my children about the way that they should be treated. And I don't want to have to tell my eight-year-old son about when he encounters the police officers, what he should have to do. I don't, I feel like he shouldn't have to worry about that at his age. And the fact that he does have to worry about it or worry about that at his age is a problem because I want him to be focused on his schoolwork and what he wants to be when he grows up. But I have to put energy into, well, don't put your, don't do this with your hands and your tone. And even just when I'm having regular conversations about him, I'm constantly having to have the conversation about your even, uh, you have to have an even tone or where you position your hands or just your interactions with law enforcement. So, you know, I've been reflecting uh, a little bit on my interviews with people about the George Floyd murders. One of the things that I'm struck by is to a T, people thanked me for giving them the opportunity to talk about this. What's also clear is that people want to be seen, heard, and valued, and that Black women are committed to healing. One of the other things that popped up for me uh, as a common theme is that, and I say it all the time, that race-based stress is real, that it can look like sadness or crying or sleepless nights or sleeping a lot um, or anxiety or a fear or just a myriad of things. But those are some of the main things. And I know that Black women are strong and resilient and magical, but that doesn't mean that we don't bleed and we don't hurt. Now, oftentimes as little girls, us black women are raised to be the strong black woman, meaning no weakness, no uh, crying, just a pillar of strength. The strong black woman should really be taken in small doses. And especially in this season of heightened racism, of caring and the police being called on us for all kinds of foolishness, for drive-by, uh, inward being thrown at people, uh, just just the, the current difficulty of this season. But I'm confident that we can get through this and hold on to the places where we're hurting, work them through, and dispense them. One of the things that I really want to encourage people to think about as they try to manage the intensity of the racial tension that we are currently experiencing now in this country is to depersonalize it. And what I mean by that is it feels very personal when you really look at either the impact of systemic racism, which is a series of different pieces sewn together that creates oppression 
and for people of color or in your own individual experiences of racism. That racism and, and experiencing racist acts, it impacts you, it hurts you, but it really is the problem of the perpetrator and not you. And it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong or that you're less than or that you're doing anything wrong. I also want to encourage you as you deal with the current climate that we are in right now from a social historical perspective that you don't forget your spiritual anchor. That that has been woven through all of the interviews just about that I've done, whether it be about the George Floyd murders and the subsequent civil disturbance or other things. So don't forget to pray. Little Chloe talked about on Out of the Mouths of Babes about putting on gospel music and singing to it. If you are uh, more of a meditation person, definitely check out the Liberation app, which is a great app for people of color who are practicing mindfulness or the Abide app. Please remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And that it may be that your girlfriends or your guy friends or your family or whomever are great support or that you may need more support from someone else. If you think that you might benefit from some type of therapy or therapeutic intervention, I want to encourage you to check out the Therapy for Black Girls website and they have a provider listing there that could be very helpful to you in finding a provider in your area. As I said earlier, this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. So remember to go slow, steady, be deliberate and intentional. We must take care of ourselves so that we can thrive and not just survive. Thank you to our guest daughters today, Nicole, Natasia, Sabri, Angela, and Ariel. This week's episode was edited by Jacob Craig. Special thanks to our interns, Caroline Bone and Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off all orders of $35.99 or more. davidsdeliciousdelights.com, bringing the yum to your door. Join me next week for another great episode of Being The Dot Podcast. Thank you for listening.